Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Long Ball Football. You're joining myself, Albert, and my brother, Barney, for another episode. How are you doing, Barney? How's your week been? I'm fine, man, yeah. Um, the first time somebody has uh, got in contact on Twitter to correct one of my pronunciations, which I was very happy with, man, because I, I love the feedback. I need any help I can get, I'm going to take it, man. But that's not strictly true, though, Barney, because he was actually critiquing one of my pronunciations this time. But so it was about family cow? Yeah, and I think I've been... Which is the correct way. Yeah, I think I've infected you. I've been saying family cow the whole time. I'm not sure... Why I dreamed that it was spelt with a little tail on the seat. But. Well, that's the thing, man. I, I I usually go in blind for these pronunciations, so I just sort of copy what you do. So, <laughs> so. it's the blind, the blind leading, leading, literally the blind leading the blind. <laughs> but no, it was, it was like I, like oh, it's the worst thing when you uh, listen to someone and they're, they're pronouncing something wrong. But uh, so I would appreciate any feedback at any moment. Um, yeah. Because some of them have been absolutely dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing our best here. How about you? You good? Yeah, great week. I managed to get to a late night game on Tuesday, which was the most fun I've had uh, in a long time, which is brilliant. They also didn't do too badly at the weekend, so that uh, made my weekend a little bit better. Don't talk about worrying too much, but we are in the playoffs. I'll just mention that while we're on. <laughs> we'll see where we are this <laughs> come the end of the season, man. See where, exactly. Well, look, before we get stuck in, there was something that we wanted to address at the beginning of the podcast, and that was some of the comments from Benfica manager George Jesus that he's been making this week, and also some of the comments he's made previously. And this comes about, for those that aren't aware, since the discussion about racism in football has once again uh, been sparked by unsavoury events, this time during a game between PSG and Istanbul Basaksehir, in which both sets of players left the field in protest about comments made towards Basaksehir assistant coach Pierre Webo a former Cameroon international who spent a large chunk of his career playing in Turkey uh, by one of the assistant referees. Now, 2020 has had discussions around racism pushed to the fore in all walks of life, including football. And after Benfica's game against Standard Liège, which took place the day after the PSG game, George Jesus was asked for his opinion on the matter. And Barney, I believe you're going to take us through what was said. Well, I'm just going to read the comment out as, as he said it. Um, this is obviously translated, but pretty much exactly what he said. He said, well, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know what happened, what was said, what is said. But today it is very fashionable in this way of racism. As a citizen, I have the right to think in my own way. And I can only have a concrete opinion if I know what was said at the moment. Because today, anything that can be said against a black person is always a sign of racism. If the same can be said against a white man, it is no longer a sign of racism. This one is being implemented in the world. Maybe there was even a sign of racism with that coach, but I don't know what they said. Ultimately, Albert, we started this podcast to talk about football, and I'm sure every single one of our listeners listens to this podcast to, to hear about football. I, I watch and play football, and for the love of the game, with you know, 22 people taking to the field and competing. And as a white male, I'm in the privileged position to have been able to enjoy this through my whole life, with only the odd swear word thrown my way. Racism has been present in football forever and consistently affected individuals and teams. In more recent times, there have been occasions where it looks like the game has made progress, but then it's instantly undermined and you realise how it's barely changed at all. You have the instance with the Champions League last week, as Orge Juice was uh, questioned on. Musa Morega in February this year was racially abused by fans of the club he used to play for and got a yellow card from the referee for trying to walk off the pitch. This is 2020. To have the manager of one of Portugal's biggest clubs, one of the biggest clubs in Europe, in terms of prestige and history, known all around the world, to say racism is fashionable is absolutely going. As an English fan of this league, I really don't want listeners to think that we're sitting here saying that, that the Portuguese league is racist and they should look to the Premier League, for example. I mean, um, at the end of last season, Jonathan Lecco suffered racial abuse from uh, Kiko Casilla. 
and was given the same poor treatment by the English FA Anton Ferdinand received 10 years ago. Mm. As the Vixen, they were both made to feel like they had done something wrong when interviewed by the FA. Racism is all across football, all across the world. What we need, though, is our prominent figures in football making stands, making statements, calling out racism, trying to rid it from football, not belittling it. The thing we should remember, Albert, is this image and power of 22 players leaving the field together, united um, in the Champions League on the world stage with everyone watching, collectively saying no to racism. And we shouldn't remember the comments of this man letting down the club and the fans he represents. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about the responsibility of the manager to represent the team. I think when you're a prominent public figure, people look to you to be a leader uh, and to represent the values of the club. And it was only in the past weeks that George Jesus was saying uh, to Rita Latas, a female reporter for Sport TV, that it was only natural that she didn't know what quality in football was. I mean, you know, neither of us know George Jesus personally. Neither of us can speak on the nature of his true personality. But in a public-facing world where you are defined by your public declarations and in the context of a year in which the discussion around racism has been so prominent, to publicly dismiss what happened as fashionable leaves a lot to be desired, to say the very least. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, like I said at the beginning, we want to talk about football ultimately on this podcast, but I feel like this was quite an important thing that we wanted to sort of understand ourselves and sort of try and put where we stand across. Because, um, yeah, it was such a disappointing thing from such a big figure in the Portuguese game. Yeah, and I think we as well have also been guilty of contributing to this image of George Jesus as that kind of pantomime villain figure, building him up as this eccentric character that you kind of laugh at, that you love to hate. But I think when you cross that line and you say some of the things that he said and you take it to that quite tasteless place, I just think it's quite important that you make it clear that these things are unacceptable. And the more people that say that, the better, really. Well, to move on to the news of the week, uh, the Premier League has a new manager in its midst. Gisualdo Ferreira takes the reins at Boa Vista. After Vasco Siabo was dismissed, the pretty disappointing start to the season for a Bovista side, which saw a lot of investment over the summer. He left them firmly in the relegation place as things stand. Gesualdo Ferreira joins having most recently managed Santos in the Brazilian league and last managing Braga in the Primera Liga in 2014. Barney, I wonder if you saw this change coming. Yeah, I really did. I was a bit gutted for Vasco Siabra. He's a young manager. Well, he started off at Passos Ferreira, interestingly, when he was only about 35, 34. He came in the season. They had this a lot of uh, investment in the club, uh, big players coming in, and it just hasn't quite worked out. It's been quite too many losses, um, too many draws and not enough wins. So, yeah, the writing was on the wall for a little while, I think. Um, I just wasn't sure if Bovista were going for this project or if they were sort of just wanting to get points on the board. It's such a cliche, but football is a results-driven business. And as much as, you know... I like the idea of him as a young manager. I even, see, I even saw some comments afterwards about you know, how people expect him to get another good job in Portugal. But yeah, the team were just far too low down the table based on the money that they'd spent. If you just want to look at Gesualdo Ferreira for a moment, he seems like, and this goes back to what you said about maybe this being a kind of project, because as opposed to a young, exciting manager, he seems like a cliched, safe pair of hands, you could say. Uh, I've got some stats here from SofaScore PT on Twitter. He's managed a total of 631 games. He's got 363 victories, an average of 1.9 points a game. He's managed Braga twice. He's been manager and assistant at Benfica. He's managed Sporting, Porto, Boa Vista, Torreense, Academica. You know, this is a guy who's been around the block. 
which might be exactly what Bovis need. Although with some of the young players they brought in uh, and some of the players they brought in from abroad, I think I expected a more of an exotic choice for manager. But in terms of staying in the league, as you said, uh, that's the most important thing for them right now. And I'm sure he's more than capable of doing so. Yeah, he's definitely got a bit of prestige about him and he'll know this league, he'll know what he needs to do. Man, they've got a fantastic squad and they, they shouldn't be where they are at the end of the day. Uh, just before we move on, Barney, I wanted to talk about one interesting thing that popped up uh, when I was researching this guy because he has a whole section on his Wikipedia page called Relationship with Jose Mourinho. So you know it's going to be juicy oh. when you see that. <laughs> so apparently they've known each other since the 1980s when Mourinho was a student at the university that Ferreira taught at, I believe. Bizarrely, despite Ferreira being much older than Mourinho, he was lined up to be Mourinho's assistant when he briefly managed Benfica. That's a whole other story, by the way. I didn't know Mourinho was Benfica <laughs> manager for any length of time. Uh, but anyway, Mourinho refused to have him. Uh, it seems like there's some animosity between them. And it's all surmised in this great quote here, vintage Mourinho, about what he thinks of Ferreira when he says... One is a coach with a 30-year career, the other with a three-year career. The one with 30 years has never won anything. The one with three years has won a lot. The one who has coached for 30 years has an enormous career. The one with three years has a small career. The one with a 30-year career will be forgotten when he ends it. The one with a three-year career could end it right now and could never be erased from history. This could be the story of a donkey who worked 30 years and never became a horse. <laughs> oh, wow. It's That's one of the wonderful. best quotes I've read in that. <laughs> That's pretty good, man. And look, in, the, in Ferreira's defence, the Wikipedia entry goes on to say that Ferreira went on to make history by becoming the first Portuguese coach to win three consecutive titles in Portugal, a feat that Mourinho never achieved. Uh, although I think Mourinho was off winning Champions League with Porto, Chelsea, Inter and Madrid. So I don't think he did too badly either. Well, look, the guy's obviously got a, a rich history in Portugal and hopefully will be uh, as interesting a character as Jose Mourinho as well. Well, this week we learned the opponents for each of Portugal's three teams competing in European competition. And there are some cracking games coming up. In the Champions League, Porto have been drawn against Cristiano Ronaldo's Juventus. And in the Europa League, Benfica will play Arsenal with Braga coming up against a Roma side managed by Portuguese manager Paulo Fonseca. Coincidentally, a former Braga manager. So, Barney, let's start with Porto. And with Juventus coming to town, what do you make of their chances? Instantly, I think even UEFA's official Twitter account um, posted the video there. Cristiano Ronaldo scoring for Man U against Porto from about 40 yards. <laughs> I did see that. Yeah. Absolute thunderbolt. Yeah. Um, I think this is quite an interesting one. More interesting than um, the two names might suggest. Um, mm. Juventus are an absolute powerhouse, but not so much this season and in the last few years. And I think there is a lot to say. I know we talked about it previously in a bit more detail last podcast, but Porto's form in the Champions League this season is fantastic. I wanted to look back at the two wins over Marseille because... Marseille are flying in League One. They're, they're absolutely on fire. Like they could go top of the league if they win their game in hand. And Sport just dispatched them quite handily. Just, you know, there was no real issues there at all. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. It's clear that Porto can get themselves up for the Champions League this season. I think the thing to do here, Barney, is to compare Juventus with Manchester City because, and I think this is where the two legged format will favour Porto because you saw how in the first game against Manchester City, perhaps they were a little bit naive. 
uh, and Man City did a good job on them. They won three 0 But in the second game, when Porto were kind of more fired up, when they played them once already, and when they knew what to expect, they put in a really good, solid defensive performance. They kept a clean sheet, uh, and maybe on another day they would have been able to nick a goal. Who knows? But if they take that attitude into the two legs against Juventus, they will certainly be the underdogs. But but you have to say it's no certainty that Juventus are going to win. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing with their performances against City, I was they but they went five at the back both times, so they changed it up. They haven't really done that for any other opponent this season, and it did seem to work in sort of in terms of looking much more solid. Also, you see it in the way that Morega um, and Taremi was starting um, up front together a lot more, so and that would lend to that formation they went to. Is that how you expect them to line up then, Barney? Five at the back. I feel like he's gonna. I mean. Juventus are still a huge team, man. They've got some amazing players in that squad. I don't think they've Perlo's really sort of stamped his style of play if he's got one on that team at the moment. But they're still like you know the quality is there. And of course, in the world of football, there's no higher quality than Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think the prospect of you know Portuguese legend coming back to play Porto, I think that's quite an exciting idea. Oh man, and Pepe coming back from injury as well. Cristiano Ronaldo won't know what's hit him. He's going to be marked out of the game. <laughs> well, I think. When you look at all the play, all those teams left in the Champions League, you can't really hide out an easy draw um, from the seeded teams. And, and in a way, like in realistic terms, this is probably one of the better teams to get. Well, as you mentioned, they definitely haven't been that dominant, scintillating team that we've seen in recent times. They've made a bit of a habit of walking the Serie A over the last decade or so, but I think they're currently in fourth place. Uh, if Juventus are a little bit low on confidence, that's something that I think Porto will be looking to exploit. That weakness, especially after, as you said, such a promising Champions League group stage. I mean, the other massive thing as well is um, the £60 million they've generated for Porto this season from uh, the Champions League getting through to the knockout stages, which is actually going to do wonders for their financial fair play situation. It's, it's fantastic for them. They've really looked up for it in this competition um, and it's going to be definitely a great two-legged affair. Well, moving down to the Europa League, I'm not sure why, Barney, but for me, this game between Benfica and Arsenal is the one that's grabbed me most out of all of them. I'm fascinated to watch this, given Arsenal's dismal display at the weekend against Burnley and pretty pathetic form overall. I really feel like this is a game that Benfica could capitalise on. Absolutely. I agree with you on this one as well. And as you mentioned with Porto, I think the two-legged format is going to suit Benfica again. We've seen them be able to get important goals when they needed it in the Rangers games when they haven't been at their best. I'm with you. It just it absolutely jumped out the page when I saw this draw. I think there's um, some interesting similarities between the state of Arsenal and the state of Benfica at the moment, especially in performances, because um, I think Arsenal are also a team who have struggled scoring goals. You know, they don't have any problem controlling the game. Uh, they don't have any problem putting balls into the box, creating chances, but they just seem to have problems putting the ball in the back of the net. And that's the same thing that we were saying about Benfica last week. So, yeah, this is going to be quite a dramatic game I think obviously we've got until February before this game kicks off so we'll have to see which of those teams has progressed the most in that time they've both got weaknesses they need to work on but it's quite nice for me as well to be talking about Benfica on the same level as a team like Arsenal and perhaps that hasn't been uh, the case in recent years To give Arsenal the credit they the end of last season Arteta managed to get some good results against Man City he was able to work out Pep and the um, thing with Benfica is that they their system is set in stone you know exactly what they're going to be playing so Arteta has got that within him to sort of work out a way of getting around that you know as Gerard basically did in the two games that he played against them personally I do think Benfica can get through in this one but it's it's not going to be as easy as I first felt when I saw this tie 
And yeah, well, last but not least, Braga, who have been drawn against Roma, a team that I think none of us know a ton about, currently sixth in the Serie A. On the face of it, not a disastrous draw for me, but from what you were telling me, it sounded like Carlos Carvalho wanted a bigger team than that. Yeah, I think I saw the quote and I took it quite literally, but um, I think the more I've read into it, it looks like it was a bit tongue-in-cheek when he said this, but he said, I want a strong team. I want to have a, like an English team, a Manchester United, a Tottenham. The motivational levels were going to be high, but it's a matter of preference. There were some teams in this Europa League draw that, you know, there's Dino Zabra, there's PSV, they were both seeded. I'd much rather them and get through to the next round. Yeah, I think the interesting dynamic between the teams, the Portuguese teams in the Europa League and Porto in the Champions League is that, sadly, and I don't think it's harsh to say, but Porto, certainly one of the lesser teams in that Champions League draw, in a way, they will be one of the teams that the bigger teams are looking at saying, that's the kind of team I would want to draw in the next round to give myself a good chance of progressing. But in the Europa League, like you, I was looking at some of the other teams that are left and yeah, Braga and Benfica are certainly not by any means the smallest teams left. In fact, they could argue that there's one of the better teams left in the competition. Braga probably could have been hoping for a bit of an easier draw. But that said, there were tougher teams in there as well. I think it could be quite evenly matched. I can't call it at this point, but whatever happens, I think we've got three fantastic games coming up and I'm looking forward to the next round. I had a look on um, the UEFA website because uh, I saw a few tweets about the actual team rankings throughout the whole of Europe. They rank okay. teams from like one to So when we look at the individual teams, so Porto are ranked 15th in Europe in terms of where they are. Fantastic. Um, Benfica have dropped a place due to their recent performances and now in 24th. And Braga have jumped up three places and uh, moving above uh, Club Brugge and Krasnodar and Schalke. And they're into 41st. Then there's Sporting. Um, they remain 30th. I think mean, it's really weird to look at teams in like a ranking system all across Europe. It's, it's really hard to like, it doesn't really mean anything. But Porto above Leon, Ajax, Napoli, Roma, and Leipzig. Benfica wow. above Inter and Atlanta. And interestingly, wow. Bar- Braga are seven places above Leicester. Wow. That's mainly due, but that's mainly due to like Leicester not being in Europe as, as much as Braga have been. It then got me onto looking into the coefficient, like, you know, the country's coefficient, which I think in Portugal is, seems to be quite an important marker of wh- where they are. So thanks to these three teams, excellent performance in Europe this season. Out of the 18 matches they've played cumulatively, they've had 11 victories, five draws and just two defeats, which is fantastic. Brilliant record. It's helped their coefficient uh, dramatically. They're currently in sixth position, having leapfrogged Russia last year. And they've just widened that gap even more. But the interesting thing is that they're hot on the tails of France. And I feel like France's teams are in a bit of decline. PSG and Lille are the only two remaining teams in Europe. But what's even more interesting when you look into it, the coefficient is done on a five-year cycle. So they look at the previous five years of the performances of that country's teams in Europe. Now, in the next year or two, France are going to lose out on their 2016-17 season where PSG and Marseille had a fantastic run in the Champions League and that got them a huge amount of points. Hmm. As soon as we move up in those five-year calculations, as soon as that goes, Portugal are going to be... They could even leapfrog France. I was listening to the uh, PortugalSoccer.com podcast this morning. He was adamant on there that Portugal teams are better than the French teams. I don't know how you feel about that. I think that's quite a big claim. You're right, because it's very hard to judge. For me, I think PSG would be the best team in Portugal if they were in Portugal. I think they're better than all the other Portuguese teams. That said, once you start looking down, I think Lyon and Porto would be a fantastic football match to watch. That'd be a great... I think they'd be very evenly matched. For me, the way you compare leagues is by comparing the best teams in the league with the best teams in the other league and then comparing the worst teams in the league 
with the worst teams in that league. So for me, the best team in France, I think, is slightly better than the best team in Portugal. And I think the worst team in France is still probably slightly better than the worst team in Portugal. But I'm all for this race to the fifth place in the coefficient. I'm Portugal all the way. Yeah, it's, it's exciting times. I didn't know much about this before. It's pretty complicated, but I think what is interesting is Portugal's upward trajectory. And I think it's going to get really close with them in France in the next season or two. So, obviously, this week we didn't have any Premier League action. And that was because it was the fourth round of the Tassa de Portugal. This is the oldest cup competition in Portugal, I believe. It actually predates the Primeira Liga, which was established in 1938. And since then, it's been the main cup competition in Portugal, similar to the FA Cup we have over here. And the perfect setting for some big cup upsets. Sadly, we didn't get too many of those with Benfica, Porto and Sporting all comfortably qualifying. But there was more than enough games for us all to get stuck into, Barney. Which games did you watch? Um, I caught a bit of the big three, Rio, Sporting, Porto and uh, Benfica. I watched uh, the Boa Vista game, which they lost to second division side, Esther Royal Pryor and Vittoria Guimaraes. We'll come on to those in a second, Barney. Do you want to kick off with the Sporting game? Yeah, so Sporting played Passos on Friday. Really good performance from Sporting. Really strong, dominated the game, I feel. Two changes, Thiago Thomas and Tabata started up top. Um, and also Nuno Mendes came back in. The whole thing with Sporting at the moment, I feel, is this talk of the striker. You know, we talked about Sporo when he first came in team and it looks all right. Could be the missing piece of the puzzle, but he's sort of really failed the last few games I've seen him. Thiago Thomas, though, I forgot about his Europa League uh, contribution when they were trying to qualify. You know, he was he was relied on in those games uh, with Sporo being out injured. And he really impressed me this game. I think... I think he's the guy to be their main striker, personally. A great goal on this one. He was so fast. His work rate great as well. He's, he was always working the channels, pressing the high as well. So for me, I, I, I want to see Amaran put a bit more faith in him. I want to see him more in the league. Um, I think he's got it. I think he can. I think he could be their answer. Although I, think, I know people are saying they'll be looking for a bigger name in the transfer window. But yeah, no, uh, he stood out for me. And uh, as a Tabata as well, I think uh, he needs to start a few more games. I saw uh, I saw Tabata's goal in the highlights. That was a oh. wonderful finish. I know. It's just, I mean, how is he going to get himself in ahead of Poet though? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the man in form at the moment. Did Pote play this game? I think they used this as his um, match uh, ban. So uh, yeah, he, he didn't play in this one. Um, so, But he'll be back in the next game. Yeah, and then moving on to Porto. Similar situation. Not many changes for this game. Tondeo, in comparison, made seven changes to when they paid Porto last weekend. Diego Leite uh, came in at the back, played with a member. He performed really well last time in Europe, Albert. Um, is, is that three games in a row he's played for them now? Yeah, um, I like him. I like a left-footed centre-back. I think the more interesting thing really is Member seems to be unshiftable. There's a lot of um, trust put in him. I keep asking you, where's Pepe going to fit in? It's a nice problem to have, obviously, because he's many good centre-backs. Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world for me, I would love to see Pepe and Late playing next to each other, just because I like the idea of uh, the young player being partnering the veteran, you know, learning as much as he can during the game. I think Late is a young player who, I believe he was one of the real hot young Porto prospects that won the Youth Champions League. He's gone a bit off the boil since then, but I'm all for young players playing well, so I, I hope they give him more chances, because I thought, like you, that he played well in the last few games that he's played. They also went with Morega and Taremi up top together again. I'm all for this. I like it. I think they work well together. They're, they're just like relentless um, 
constantly making runs, causing all sorts of problems. Um, and then the other uh, other end of the pitch, you had Diego Costa starting from Porto. Um, he's his third game now. He, uh, keeper's come through their academy, and he's just 21 years old. The reason I wanted to talk about him is Porto snapped up Claudio Ramos on a free this season after Claudio Ramos ran his contract down at Tondela. And I just can't understand the move out. It's similar to Carrasco. Like he was like one of the best goalkeepers in the league at Tondela in the worst, one of the worst teams in the league. If he was at Tondela now, they'd be playing him every game. He'd be getting minutes. Um, and I'd just be, if I was a Tondela fan, I'd be so gutted to see him move away and just to not, he wasn't even on the bench in this game, man. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to take away from uh, Diego Costa. They've uh, he, he looks like a good goalkeeper, and it's good to see a young player getting minutes. But just a, uh, if I was a Tom Day fan, I'd be good. There was another game as well with uh, two Liga Nos teams now, but you caught uh, Vittorio Gamarish Santa Clara, didn't you? Yeah, well, that was one game that I did want to pick up on. Uh, Vittorio Gamarish lost at home 1 0 to Santa Clara. Not a game that would have grabbed the headlines, but. We've both followed Vittoria quite closely because they've got some English players in their book to look out for, of course, one of whom is uh, Issa Suleiman. Uh, and he was dropped again for this game, Barney. It's something we've chatted about before. He hasn't played a minute of football for them since they lost 4-0 to Sporting uh, on the 7th of December. He'd been a bit of a... He'd been a fairly regular starter before them. Uh, I think we can both agree that it's quite harsh to suggest that Issa was doing anything other than putting in pretty solid performances the whole time. Perhaps there's an element of bias on our side. And to be fair, they've only conceded one goal in those last four games that they haven't played in. But for me, they weren't conceding three, four, five goals a game before that. I think it was their attacking play that had been the problem rather than defence. But anyway, I just wanted to pick up on that because I thought uh, Issa was doing pretty well, starting to make a name for himself uh, in that defence. So I hope to see him bounce back and it's disappointing that he didn't get a game. Santa Clara will be happy with this win now, but they're pretty much in the same place in the league as uh, Futuro Grimarash. Um, so good win and they'll be hoping they can repeat that result when they face them in the league at some point yeah definitely I think Santa Clara had such a good start to the season there was a lot of positivity around them it's kind of gone off the boil a little bit since then um, but yeah you know maybe they'll get a run in the cup something like that to uh, give themselves a bit of a boost uh, the only game, other game that I wanted to touch on Barney was the Boa Vista game and this was interesting to me because Boa Vista went out to second division side Esteril Prior. Uh, they lost 2-1 to a team that currently sit top of the second division. Uh, and I think we could be seeing an awful lot more of them next season. I have actually watched them once already this season. That was against Cova de Piedad in the second division, a game which Esteril won 5-1. That said, I did expect Boa Vista to have more than enough quality to win that game. Especially when, as you said, they were one of the teams playing their first team. You know, it was a very strong lineup. Yeah, I think de- de- defensively they both look pretty poor. I think Estrell's goals both came from sort of free kicks coming in and the defenders sort of not dealing with it, not clearing, of it, clearing it properly. I feel like this is quite a strong team they feel as well, quite an attacking team. You had uh, Angel Gomez, Alef Ellis, uh, NG all at, the t- all at top. I mean, it's fantastic for Estrell. They're clearly, I think they've lost once this season in Liga Pro. I think they're, they're clearly a team playing with a lot of confidence. It'd be great if we could see them next season. One team who certainly didn't get beat by a team in the league below um, was Benfica. They dispatched the Villafrancans 5-0 on Sunday. I'm actually going to start from the last goal scored now, but, um, mm-hmm. which was Pedrino, which was definitely the pick of the bunch. It was, oh, cutting on his left, whipped it into, right into the stanchion. Oh, yeah, a great goal. And we haven't really seen much of him this season after his um, 16 million move from Corinthians. I think he's had an injury, which is why he hasn't featured so much. He's only 22 years old. He's uh, definitely got a big future ahead of him. There's a lot of talk around him. Um, 
I don't know how he's going to fit into this Benfica system, but I think it's exciting nevertheless. Obviously, Villafranquense are down there in terms of quality. So as good as 5-0 win is and as good as some of the performances were, I don't know how much to take from this from Benfica. I thought Nuno Tavares was really impressed with me at left back again. He was a real attacking threat. Goncalo Ramos as well, playing a striker. The midfield seems to have a lot more control as well. They were be able to put link passes up to the strikers um, a lot better than I've seen Benfica do in the last few games. And then also, there was an indirect free kick in this game, which I haven't, I don't think I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> Nuno Tavares kicked the ball back to Hells and Lee and he picked it up. So, indirect free, free kick in a Benfica's uh, penalty area. Yeah, just I've never seen that in years. <laughs> it's not something I've seen since playing primary school football. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. I, a solid performance from Benfica. Three goals in the first 15 minutes, yeah, you know you're off to, off to a winner. Well, the fourth round of the Tassos of Portugal wraps up with Braga playing Sion Montijo and the fifth round will resume on the 23rd of December if you're looking to follow events in the Tassos de Portugal. Right, well, we move on to our team in focus section once again. And this week, it's a big one as we look at Boa Vista and the history of their club. Now, Boa Vista, it's fair to say, are one of the most recognisable recognizable Portuguese clubs outside of the big three. And that's down in no small part to the fact that they're one of only five clubs to have ever won the Primera Liga. Now, we've talked about this fact before, but just to reiterate, only five teams have won the Portuguese Championship. Benfica, Porto and Sporting are the big three. The other two teams are Belenenses and Boa Vista, who both only won it once each, which just shows the dominance that these big three have. Belenenses won their championship in 1946, but Boa Vista are a much more interesting case as their title was won in 2001. So in living memory of the vast majority of Portuguese football fans. And what a story that is, Bonnie. It's completely remarkable. I mean, they took on the coach, Jenga Pacheco, a few seasons before they won it. Um, this was his first great achievement, really. No real recognisable names in the squad as well that won the league. Uh, Ricardo in goal, who a uh, few English fans will remember. Just a um, few. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, just a ridiculous win. I think when Leicester won the league, all the big teams had a really bad year. Well, with this title win, it wasn't exactly like that. Bo Vista were just fantastic. Their defence was solid. And they were able to get, they shared the goals around. There was the top goals, we only had 11 goals. So goals were shared around the whole team. Just like a, an incredible moment. It must have been in Portuguese football to have seen them lift the trophy. I mean, I think we're really, what we're really trying to do is just emphasize how much of a big deal this is for a team other than the big three to win the Portuguese championship. I mean, and that's down to a few factors, but mainly just the dominance that these clubs have uh, in terms of fan bases and financially is so much bigger than any other club in Portugal. I always come back to the fact that Andy Brassel sort of anecdotally remarks that 70% of people in Portugal support Benfica. And I mean, if the maths is anywhere near correct, that's just an astounding figure. So the chances of any other team than those clubs winning it. I mean, Portugal is not a rich league. You know, we see obviously Benfica have got some financial muscle spending a lot in the summer. Porto might spend a bit of money here and there and sporting, but... When, it, when you start moving down the clubs, there's just nowhere near the same financial power. So for a team outside of them to win the division is an incredible achievement. It's a really historic event. 
they called themselves sort of a stepping stone club for the big three, really. Like they had, they would sort of get a player when they're on the way up in their career and then they'd move on quite quickly to a bigger club. I mean, when you look at some of the players they used to have, uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Nuno Gomez, Raul Morelles, Jose Basingua, Bruno Fernandes, even Andre Gomez at Everton at the moment, all came through at Bovista at some point. I guess the question now, do, do you think they see themselves as a stepping stone club now? Well, I think they certainly do, given the whole ownership relationship they've now got with Lille, which seems to put that almost in definition that Lille will send them players to develop maybe on loan before they come back to Lille. Case in point being Angel Gomez. We've also seen recently rumours about Reggie Cannon moving on to a bigger team like Benfica after only being there for six months. So I also think it's important to say that that's not a business model to be sniffed at. It's not a negative for a team to make that part of who they are, scouting players at a young age, developing them, selling them on for profit. It's a perfectly respectable business model. It's a model that works for a lot of clubs all around the world. And I think it's a model that will certainly work for them if they're successful in Portugal. Or that it does bring us on to how they're doing this season. And it's fair to say they've been very disappointing. I remember Barney when we had Jamie Farr on the show and we asked him which team surprised you this year, thinking he was going to say something positive about who's taking him, uh, who's caught his eye in a positive sense. But in fact, he went for Bovista based on just how badly they're doing compared to the money they've spent and this whole change of ownership that we've seen. Do you want to explain to people that change of ownership and what that relationship is? Yeah, so uh, Gerard Lopez currently owns uh, Lille in France. For a few years, he's been looking for quite specifically a Portuguese club to sort of almost act as a feeder club to Lille. Um, he's been quite clear about that. That's what he wanted to do. I think there's rumours he was looking at Belenenses, um, a couple of other teams as well, but he's He's sorted out with Boa Vista this season. Um, he's got the majority stakeholder now. I mean, he's had great success at Lille. Let's get their straight. He's, they've got a great model there of picking out um, young talent, moving them on. I mean, uh, Victor Oshiman, the striker, who just went to Napoli for 70 million euros in the summer. They're doing the right things. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this project develops with Boa Vista. Um, he's made it clear that they're going to look to America as well, which we've already seen that with the signings of Reggie Cannon and... Um, Alba Fellas, they see American and Canadian players sort of as a real good asset to have that will only increase in value. Um, sort of seeing what some of the American and Canadian players in Germany and across Europe have come over and done well. They spent a lot of cash in the summer, though. That's the biggest thing, which is why this poor start to the season is a bit of a surprise. I mean, both Cannon and Alba Fellas are quite significant transfer fees for the Portuguese league, particularly teams at that sort of level. I mean, even the smattering of like these legends as well, and like Abby Garcia and Abbott Adorani coming in is, is is nice to see. And they're not going to be on like small uh, contracts either. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about some of those players, Barney, because obviously the marquee signing in the summer for me was Angel Gomez. And I mean, I know he's a young player, but any time you sign a player from Manchester United, it's a big deal. And for me, he hasn't disappointed at all. We've seen him absolutely run games time after time, even when they're playing badly. Even when he can't get them over the line, he's been the standout player, the one making chances. Reggie Cannon, for me, a player who had a slow start, but he's shown a lot of promise. I think he's slowly but surely working his way up to be one of the better right-backs in the division. Certainly, he's in that conversation at the moment. Uh, and of course, Alba Feles, who I know he's one of your favourites. Uh, for me, whenever I watch him, I always think there's a lot of raw talent there. Uh, I wonder if somebody can really hone that talent and polish him up to be a finished player. He's another one who's got great ability. So, yeah, a lot to be positive about in terms of those signings. What I think is really important with this low move is the freedom Angel Gomez is given. He is given that 
place behind the striker and allowed to do what he wants. And that is going to be so good for his development. It's a really smart move for both him and um, Lille to sort of make this low move happen. I think that's absolutely spot on. I mean, it's great to see a, a young player just being given the confidence to go and play his game the way he wants to play it. Something he never, ever had at Manchester United. But yeah, he's been a, a real diamond in the rough for both Vista this season. And, and obviously we touched on their managerial change. If this new manager can shore up that rest of the team and keep giving him and other players like Alba Fellas the freedom to play, I'm sure we'll start seeing improved performances from them. Well, I think everything that we've said here, Barney, just points to the fact that they've got all the, to- all the tools at their disposal to achieve a lot more uh, in this league than they have. And with the appointment of uh, Gesualdo Ferreira, they'll be hoping that they've got the man in place to do just that. So it'll be interesting to see their first game with Gesualdo Ferreira in charge, Barney. When's that going to be? Well, that's next Sunday. And they're playing uh, Pachos de Ferreira at three o'clock. Do you know what? We saw them beat Benfica 3-0. It's clearly that these players have got the talent to get these results. So I'm hoping with the new manager, they'll be able to get something there. My money would be on them. Well, that brings us nicely onto the weekend's action with the return of the Primera Liga. Uh, and that just leaves us to give you a recommendation for a game to watch. Barney, I know what mine's going to be and I think we've got the same one. Well, I, I knew, I know what yours was going to be straight away, man, when I saw the two teams. Um, is it the Ryan Gold Derby on Saturday? It is the Ryan Gold Derby at 8.15pm on Saturday. And what a treat. It's also on the live score app, free to watch at home. I can't wait to see that game. I mean, I'm sure Ryan is a very humble guy and will probably say that there's no animosity there but he must just have that desire to prove something to them he's definitely I feel like he's definitely shown the ability to get himself up for games and there's no better game than this for him to do something in I mean the other games Albert um, I think there's some quite nice games this weekend I've really enjoyed watching Tondea the last few games and they're coming up against Morenz so I think there could be um, I think that could be an entertaining game that's at 6pm on the Saturday as well a nice undercard to the uh, Sporting Forens game then Benfica have got Gilles Vicente on Sunday and Porto have got City Nacional as well. Uh, those could be high-scoring games potentially. And both those games, of course, again, on the Free Sports app. So there is plenty of football available uh, to watch if you're interested in catching some games at the weekend. And with both those games free to watch on the Live Score app, there's plenty to get it stuck into next weekend. We'll both be checking out some of those games and sharing our thoughts with you on our next podcast. Uh, but for now, there's just time for us to say thank you very much for listening. If you've been enjoying our podcast recently, you can leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app, uh, or you can get in contact with us at Football on Twitter, or email us at longballfootball at gmail.com. But for now, we'll say thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Yeah, see you next week.